was Cracking Lovely People's Big Feed Up HQ podcasts. There's no messing around. I'm recording two podcasts in one day, trying to drive in more content and all that jazz. Anyway, I've got my friend Lucy here. We're cracking a couple of coffees. A little bit of background. I met Lucy over in the US. We actually worked together at a kids sporting camp oh, when I was 20, so oh, seven or eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, 2010, summer of 2010, yeah. I think. Wow. So I was, I was teaching tennis. Lucy was a lifeguard there. And then, yeah, we've obviously became friends and we just share loads of common interests. We both studied at the same nutrition college. Um, we've, we've both done a little bit of coaching and training together. So I've basically got her into, we, we have these little coffees and catch-ups and chats. And I just thought it'd be really good to record it because she's, she's done a lot of interesting work in, in, in food and in charities. And, you know, she's interested in some of the things that I like in terms of movement as well. And, um, yeah, I just thought it'd be nice to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Of course. <laughs> thank you for the coffee, it's delicious, I expected nothing less. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so mate, you know, let's just dive in, because mm. people won't necessarily know about you, so yeah. I think just, yeah, give us a little bit of a background and, and, you know, what you've done in the last few years and what you're interested in. I know that's a pretty loaded question, but <laughs> I'll let you take it. Well, so, I mean, I've done so many different things, it's been a bit of a whirlwind the last since we graduated so what's that six years now Mm. um so I started out my background is um sports science and I did um, an English degree as well and so that kind of led to me following sports science out to the US and doing an internship there at the University of Utah um supporting athletes um predominantly volleyball players and some basketball guys as well um so sort of like running sports science support with them um, and then I came back to the UK with like a keen interest in um, like childhood obesity and kind of what could be done on the ground um, on like a front line um, to sort of make a difference there. So I found um, a company called Wellspring and they're like a weight loss company. They're an American company, but they have um, they plonked a weight loss camp in Exeter um, as kind of like a go between so that kids from um, UAE families who didn't want to be sent all the way to America could kind of come to a UK version of the American system mm. um, and worked there for a summer, which was really interesting. It's probably one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just in terms of, like, just emotionally and physically and just constantly on the go. It's like it's like being at the American summer camp again. But um, What age were the kids? So anything from 10 to 21. What? Yeah, I know. Um, so luckily, well, I say luckily, but it was nice that I was responsible for the um, 18 to 21s. Um, and because they were of like adult consenting age, um, they'd actually chosen to be there, which was quite nice because um, it meant that they actually, you know, were motivated to do the things that they were being asked to do. And it wasn't like they were 10 years old and they'd been told they were going to a fun camp and then actually turned up and realised that their yeah. parents had sent them to a weight loss camp. It was that kind of vibe. Um, oh, that's interesting. So at that yeah. age, that they already decided to check themselves in. Yeah. And then, how, did you have to kind of break down barriers with with each individual, or was yeah. everyone kind of quite malleable to to be like, look, this is why I'm here. Mm. You know, here's an icebreaker. Let's get out straight away. I really want to change. Or were there others that you had to kind of, you know, really take a deep dive into, and it took them a little while to come out of their shell, and mm-hmm. did some progress, did some, you know, not go anywhere. What was the overall consensus? There was a big mix. I'd say both. 
um, definitely there are, you know, some of the sort of the, the bigger personalities in my group that were quite forward right off the bat about why they were there and their motivations for being there and what it meant to them, that kind of thing. And then others were a lot more closed about it and um, kind of just a bit more shy. And those were the ones that took a little bit more kind of breaking down and warming up and, and that kind of thing. But you'd expect that, you know, it's a completely alien environment for for those young people. And mm. um, and in a, in a way, though, it was kind of a safe, it, from what they said, it was kind of a safe environment for them because everybody there was kind of in the same boat and for the same reasons. Mm. Um, so there was no, I don't know, just, it, yeah, they just said that it felt like a very sort of safe environment for them to be doing that kind of thing. Um, Interesting. So would you say that at the place, could, because obviously the people that work there, like yourself, mm. you, you believed in it and you wanted to help people, but it was the, po- the, the positive culture when people came in, and especially between the 18 and 21-year-olds, everyone was wanting to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So then that obviously translated into... Oh, yeah, it's that, like, group mentality and kind of working together, like, towards a common goal. Yeah. Like, definitely, 100% helped. Interesting. Um, so especially with the movement of... I know it's a bit of a segue, but all of the information coming out now on, on childhood obesity, sugar tax, all that kind of thing, it is, you know, a culture shift. Now. Yeah. And, and everyone talks about, let's get kids moving more or let's, you know, let's, let's get them drinking less sugar. But then actually, if everyone wants to change... Um, and, and and there's positivity around it not just uh, oh let's bring this in and uh, sugary drinks are going to cost more money so so you know that people won't buy them mm-hmm. the, you know the, the, the roots are okay everyone's a bit more educated and we want to push towards the same thing so that mm. it's a snowball effect mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah interesting um, and I guess yeah that kind of like working within with that population and then with young people generally I mean, I did a lot of things from sort of that point, like tra- you know, working with you as a PT and mm. doing all those little bits and starting the nutrition course. Um, but then at some point, I think it was January like 2016, I kind of decided that I wanted to do something and work with a company that were um, particularly proactive around childhood obesity. Um, it was still a really like prominent issue somewhere I felt really passionately about. Um and so I came across um, a charity called Shift, and um, they are this like fantastic, tiny little proactive charity that are like fully research-led, user-centered um, in everything that they do. And what they do is um, they design approaches to um, creating products and services and ventures that um, sort of go towards social change. So they'll pick like big issues in society and they're not afraid to pick, you know, some of the really big, like meaty subjects. So, mm. um, you know, childhood obesity is the one that I went in to um, work with them on. But then also um, they've got other projects that are going at the moment on things like uh, like improving mental health um, in mm. specifically like young boys, um, improving community cohesion. So that's a project called Storybox. And then also um, improving like infant emotional development, so like the first thousand days of a child's life, and how you can support parents to um, emotionally develop their child yeah. in um, sort of the best possible way. And and like I said, the thing that um, really drew me to Shift as an organisation is how much emphasis they put on everything being based on sound, solid, really rigorous research, and they do all of that in house. So. Um, the team at Shift, it was a really inspiring place to work because being a charity, obviously they try to keep like, you know, numbers and costs down as much as possible. So they take on 
really fantastic minds so just like a very select number of researchers and designers that are all very good at what they do Mm. um and then sort of spread them out across the different projects so so yeah so i went in in there um, is it just london based shift at the moment yeah yes they're just based up in farrington all right okay yeah just a little little space up there sure and i'll put everything all the information that we go through so anything lucy says you know they'll go in the show notes and there'll be links to to what shift do and all that kind of thing so people mm. can look at it afterwards um oh that's really good so so you jumped in there mm. and you know day one you you dived into working on a campaign in, within childhood obesity so yeah what, so, so what was it what was a day job like or what you mm. know what kind of experiences did you have i think it's <laughs> so many experiences yeah um yeah it was a real like whirlwind i was there for a year um and yeah so the the food team i was i i went in on the food project at quite an exciting time i guess because it was a little bit of a hiatus like they've she's been working on childhood obesity since 2012 and since then they've um you know run lots of different like research um research projects um they first started looking at childhood obesity because um they basically asked the question you know are we overweight by default is this like a normal response to an abnormal environment um and what can be done to make our responses to this abnormal environment like more healthy Mm. i suppose so um they basically came to the conclusion that there are these like strong underlying forces in mainstream culture that are conspiring to um you know make it conducive to unhealthy weight gain Mm. um and They've particularly picked up on the fact that um, within London, because being a London charity, they kind of focus more of their preliminary research on the London area. Mm. Um, and they particularly honed in on chicken shops um, because um, there's a stat that says that all secondary schools are within 500 metres of at least one takeaway. And I think there's now legislation that has come out that says that you can't open um, a takeaway within 400 metres of a school. So the existing ones are kind of there to stay, but you can't now come in and open up um, a, like a traditional takeaway outlet within 400 metres of a school. Mm. So, I mean, that's like a five minute walk, right, for kids, five mm. to ten minute walk for kids from school, which is nuts. Um, and that's yeah, such an interesting stat. I know. Um, and the fried chicken market is worth upwards of 15 billion pounds. I think that's that's what they said. Um, in, just in London? I think that's countrywide yeah and i'd have to check that i'm not sure that it's just yeah but yeah. It's, it's a hell of a lot so it's a, wow. a large portion of the um of the takeaway market um so then shift were like okay well is there like a healthier alternative to fried chicken like can you is it possible to serve chicken meals that are healthier and still popular um and still run like a financially sustainable business Mm. so then they came along with um this concept of box chicken um and literally set up their own competitor to the traditional like tennessee fried chicken or Mm. um you know the ones that the independents that you see on the high street Mm. um and they tried to get this box chicken company kind of going from scratch and it was a healthier alternative so they used various different ingredients to improve the nutritional profile of your traditional um, chicken and chip meal um, and with this you know the, the main aim of kind of reducing calories but keeping the same sort of portion size and taste and all that kind of thing yeah. um, and also you know key point maintaining the price level as well because that's obviously a big driver of why people go towards um, 
like takeaway outlets yeah. in the first place. Quick, easy, cheaper, yeah. pa- you know, hyper palatable, mm-hmm. sweet, salty, you know, all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Interesting. And I think that's yeah. the key takeaway with, with, with all these kind of things. And it's good because you can add boots on the ground experience, but just improving the nutritional profile. Mm. But, you know, that that's like 101. You know, how, how do we do that? Right, okay, and they pick something specific there, like um, creating their own chicken, which might be available for nearest schools, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's with these kind of initiatives, that's, you know, that's what has to be taken in. Okay, can we keep the price similar, but could we bring the energy intake down and could we increase the nutritional profile? That exactly. doesn't have to be complex. Yeah. Yeah. And they literally did that as well. They This is before I arrived at Shift. This was still... Um, kind of 2013 I think 2014 mm. um, and there was a load there was like TV coverage of it and everything and they won a couple of awards I think for it as well um, but they literally had like a box chicken truck that they would rock up to the school gates in yeah um, that's fab I think I can't remember exactly where the school was it was in London um, and you know d- because of the, the research focus of the charity um, ran a bunch of surveys with the people that um, the kids that were at school and you know gauged their reactions to it how much they're enjoying it or not and all that and mm. came to the conclusion that yes you can serve chicken meals that are healthier um, but in it's just such a saturated market mm. like, there's so many chicken shops already out there and you know takeaway shops generally mm. um, but it it proves difficult and expensive to establish a completely new brand like that um, so and and so even if they'd they then sort of went on to like create like a healthy fast food network of existing mobile food vendors so sort of taking a slightly different tack in that like okay well rather than trying to set up a new one completely from scratch there are like other people that are kind of already doing this what if we link them all together and sort of power in numbers type of situation um but even if they'd if even if that had been you know as successful as it could have been that would still only have been you would need 250 outlets to take a three percent market share um and then that still leaves 97 percent of the market and so you know how much of an impact are you actually having mm. um and for shift like social impact and making that making a measurable social impact is really key um so so yeah so then um then that's when i kind of joined i guess and shift at that point had like taken a bit of a step back and were kind of reflecting on everything that they'd learned through this project so far and mm. um kind of like where do we go next kind of thing mm. um it's quite an interesting time then yeah you really have to get up to speed with that look at the data which you yeah, love yeah, doing yeah. yeah um so you can use that kind of analytical side of your personality but then also that kind of creative side of all right, it's a blank canvas now, you know, what else can we look at mm-hmm. and where else can mm-hmm. we go? And that's been really rewarding. So interesting. Um, and yeah, so then they kind of started looking at, well, what about if we work with current fast food businesses, like the independents? Mm. Um, and there's this like well-established link between obviously the number of fast food outlets that there are in an area, fast like how much fast food is consumed by the residents there. And then, you know by um, default then the obesity rate as well um and there's um sort of a higher prevalence of fast food outlets in um, more urban deprived areas particularly in london um and so i mean it's it's no secret i guess that like takeaway is becoming more of like an everyday option now kind of what we've said before and, and rather than an occasional treat but the issue being that the nutritional profile of a traditional takeaway meal is still designed to be 
a treat food mm. rather than like an everyday mm. everyday consumed meal. That's probably the disconnect not, now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was kind of one of the, the big things, I think, that then drove um, the direction that Shift went after the whole like box chicken healthy fast food network kind of like hiatus. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, so then um, the other thing I should say, say about Shift, I guess, is that um, we, they work in um, partnership with other organisations as well. So other organisations that um, are really keen to, you know, make um, measurable social impact, particularly within the childhood obesity sphere. Um, and so people like or company organisations like um, Guys and St Thomas's Charity, um, the Esme Fairbound, Fairburn Foundation, um, and then various like local authorities within London as well. So Tower Hamlets in particular. Um, and I'll talk about the project that I worked on specifically for them in a second. Um, but yeah, so um, one of the projects that they worked on with um, Guys and St Thomas's, um, was it Guys and St Thomas's? No, this was within Tower Hamlets, so working kind of with them, um, was looking at how we could work alongside the fast food business owners to see if we could make changes to the food that they were serving, but still help them to have, you know, good profit margins and no impact on sales or customer satisfaction or any of that kind of thing. Because mm. when you approach business owners like that, being independent, like their things that they really care about are, you know, financial security and managing a variable monthly turnover and keeping their regular customers happy because most of the customers that go to these independents are the ones that have been going there out of habit and because they're mm. regular you know for ages and ages um so that's a massive barrier to them to changing anything about their menu whatsoever even mm. like you know switching out one type of oil for another which would reduce the calories or mm. reducing portion sizes that just like absolutely not massively risk averse mm. like i'm not doing anything to potentially harm my bottom line mm. um and i think shift recognized that like okay well if that if the trend is towards if these fast food business owners aren't going anywhere, like can we work with them to change the environment rather than trying to, you know, oust them entirely? And the thing is, like, you know, it's difficult to forget that actually fast food and, and the business owners and the independents there, like they, that it's not all bad. Like the the business, the little independents, they actually can provide like a really important like social and cultural function for the people that live in the area mm. so especially for the young people like we've done a lot of work with um young people in lambeth and southwark in particular and like the role of um fast food and the, the food environment of the places that they live in their like social context mm. um and you know it, it offers them like a really safe like non-judgmental space to be in a lot of the time these little shops um like places for them to be like social and, and that kind of thing as well as obviously like you know providing employment for residents in the area mm. um so anyway so yeah the, the i found the work that they did with the business owners particularly interesting they actually um they this is again this just before i got there um they bought so they nutritionally analyzed 500 um takeaway meals so they went in bought the meals from these places nutritionally analyzed all of them so sent them off to a lab to have a complete breakdown of the nutritional profile so you could see kind of as a baseline um what the nutritional content of these meals was mm. and then from there obviously you've then got like you know a plethora of data that you can then use to compare any changes that you 
managed to um, affect. Wow, is that data accessible to um, the public? I'm not sure. I mean, most of Shift's research is like public resource. Yeah. I have to check whether the like data actually is. Because it to is, know. it's fascinating. Yeah. And I did a mini version of that, not 500 meals, because I couldn't carry all that food myself. No. But for this like Tower Hamlets project. Huge um, eats. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then they also like you know did all these in-depth interviews with the owners to really understand what it was that motivated them and. Um, understand like all aspects of their experience as a, as a business owner from you know business logistics and supply chain to the nuances of competition with other outlet owners on the same street because you always get that don't you it's like mm. you know how are there six fried chicken shops and three burger shops all on this exact same piece of street and you're all surviving like how does that work so yeah. you know um and also like you know their thoughts on like the regeneration of the local area because that's a massive thing in london at the moment um the the fight between sort of the higher end um, takeaway places like Leon and Pod and Pratt and those kinds of places, and then the lower end of the spectrum, so the mm. more like independent places like the value end of the market. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and they then tested. Is this interesting? 100%. 100 <laughs> Don't. I'm like just, I'm just like babbling on. No, I find it so fascinating. But that's why I got you on because, it, because <laughs> you know, these these things talking about, you know, eating and uh, obesity and you know childhood obesity and things like that. A lot of people have their own opinions on things. Yeah. And the good thing is you've actually gone in, you've worked on it, and yeah, you've taken time to educate yourself, look at research working campaigns whereas a lot of people will be very flippant and be like oh they just need to just no. eat less or uh-uh. people just need to move more so the reason why i got you on this podcast <laughs> is because you are more informed and you're more experienced and you would be one of the first people i'd want to ask about commenting on you know what the government are doing with childhood obesity and all mm. these kind of things because um yeah you're, you're just more informed and it's like anything i like to speak to people that go away and they think okay I need to write down a few things about this. I need to look at a few things about this. And, yeah. and I can see that in you anyway, because you're one of the first people I've done a podcast with and you've turned up with <laughs> notes. a shed load of notes in front of you. Like you're like, don't worry, I might, I'm going to be another little while. I'm just writing a few things down. And I was thinking, what? But no, this is, yeah, this yeah. is absolutely gold. And the good thing is people that gravitate to listen to this you know, we'll, we'll be staying on and wanting to know more because yeah. it's, it's interesting to them. So. Okay. And the longer form of, format's nice mm. as well. So imagine if this was a, a one-minute cut YouTube video or you were being, I don't know, asked on some newsreel and you had to put on some stupid voice and it's all like, <laughs> right, we're going to cut to Lucy and uh, what's your opinion on childhood obesity? And then you'd be like, oh, well, I think this, this, and this, this, and this, Matt. And then boom, There's goes, so it goes to adverts, it. you know, right. and then you're, you're watching some, oh my like, I don't know, Teletubby dance around and we've had your 30 seconds in the limelight. You know, that's why podcasts and this form of this form of communication is building because there's no, you know, there's no crew telling us to cut. There's no like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Isn't, that isn't important or relevant, you know, so don't, I wouldn't worry there's, about um, it. There's so much more to the whole like obesity picture and especially when you, when it takes and you, you look at it from like a family perspective as well, which is what mm. the overall project that Shift are working on with food takes into account so it's looking at families in urban deprived areas um, mm. particularly in london but you know the venture eventually hopefully will you know take into scope the whole of the uk i would hope 
Um, yeah, well, it's got to start somewhere. Most people that are listening to this, they might be yeah. London-based, so it makes sense when you talk about Southwark and you talk about you know other areas and you speak about, oh, they went over here, and you talk about chicken shops and takeaway places. You know, people can resonate with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it'll be similar in larger cities and things like that as well. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, it's definitely relevant. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, I... And, so they did that all that work with like with the business owners and um, managed to um, recruit enough owners to um, start implementing some sort of stealthy healthy changes to their business to see if they would work. Stealthy healthy. Stealthy healthy health by stealth. Yeah. And so, for example, uh, one of the changes that they attempted to implement was um, what if you change the packaging? I mean, it seems very kind of obvious and straightforward. What if you change the packaging that chips were given in mm. um, and made it look as though it was still the same size portion, but actually it's kind of like a like an optical illusion of some sort. Um, and also there's you know it's a, a distracting feature like you have to put your own seasoning on it instead and like shake the box mm. so that customers are less likely to recognize that they're give, being given a smaller portion of chips and understandably business owners were really quite like oh i'm not sure about this implementation because what if my customers notice and mm. then it's going to go right next door and mm. get like a normal portion of chips mm. um but they implemented it anyway and tried it out and that one didn't go down so well <laughs> but um, yeah but you've got to try things and you that's... do you do um absolutely and like there were other ones that did work a lot better and um owners were a lot more open to actually implementing that kind of long term so some really simple things that you see a lot of the time on um other sort of menus and stuff like that like you know little social nudges like a thumbs up next to the healthier items on a menu or mm. an explicit message saying like you know healthier option and then mm. um and again like we you know recorded um the impact that all of those were having on sales and um, all that kind of thing and whether it was driving sales of new item new menu items that we put in or not but the interesting thing is that the the majority of sales in independence like that are driven by like one or two menu items like you could have as many as you want on the menu and it'll still be driven by a couple of like you know favorites or whatever mm. i think in one outlet 70 percent of their sales were driven by this one menu item and that was a full English breakfast so in order to have impact and reduce you know have a proper impact on reducing the calories consumed by people that frequent that outlet you need to target that one that meal. one meal or yeah. at least or at least put in something which is going to compete on a level with that offer interesting um yeah rather than just being like Here's our salad range when because actually everyone goes in for the people are big breakfast. Of so are. why don't you just change that? And that, to be fair, that's right. There's a cafe that I go to when I'm back home in Norfolk and I'll get the same thing every time. Every and, then, time. and their menu yeah. is like colossal. Yeah. And I don't look at anything new. Yeah. Just give me the bubble and squeak. I know. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and so, and that's one of the other things that we learned was that, you know, for environmental cues, so anything that you change in the in the outlet environment itself so if you walk in and there's like you know a new poster on the wall that's um, advertising a healthier meal or if there's even the like social nudges that i just spoke about like the little thumbs up or an explicit message saying healthier option they have to work so hard to be noticed by consumers because there's this kind of it's like option blindness or um 
it's just almost like blinkers and people know what they want, where they where they want to get it. And um, particularly within, you know, the, the families that we worked with and spent a lot of time with, for them, when they've got kids to feed, it's a bit more of a thing around, you know, I'm not going to try something new because I know that my kids like this one thing. If I've only got a limited budget, then why would I risk spending money on something that they may not even like? Mm. And, um, you know, when I know that they like chicken and chips and so... And it feeds them and it makes them happy and they love me for it and it's a quick time-saving option for me. Mm. Um, so I think... Um, oh, That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's well, this is... think a lot about that. One of the biggest things I learned from Shift was... And I think one of the, yeah, the biggest takeaways that I had, and that maybe that the team had as well, from the research that we did, particularly with Guys at St Thomas's, is an incredible um, piece of... Uh, report writing that the um, I hope we'll link to in the bottom of this. Um, mm, definitely. Um, and guys in St Thomas's have actually written their own sort of bite-sized um, report on it as well. Um, was that with with food and the food choices that families make? Often it has a lot to do with everything else. And not the food. <laughs> it's, mm. You know everything else that's going on in their lives, from you know time pressure to having so many things to juggle at the same time, and like you know the cognitive burden of living under financial strain. It just it makes it makes it con- conducive to like certain you know decision pathways and and that kind of thing. And there's just so much more to the drivers of obesity, I think, than it than is really given credit, mm. Um, mm. particularly within these families that live in those kinds of conditions. So this project with um, guys in St Thomas's, it was really interesting, and I actually got to accompany the um, like lead researcher on a couple of her trips to spend time with the families. Mm. And so what they did was um, they um, they spent time. I think it was like more than 200 hours or so with 44 different families of families and young people um, to understand the their food habits their food environment how you know the routes that they take regularly on a day-to-day basis impact their decisions around food the way they feel about food um, all that kind of thing so we literally strapped GoPros to kids kind of thing and like accompanied them on um, supermarket shopping out things with their mother so we could mm. see what they were seeing from eye level mm. so they were like walking around with these things on their foreheads and wow. so you could kind of see like you know okay this kid on eye level is exposed to x y and z um and all that kind of thing and um so yeah i, I accompanied chloe um with a couple of families and we spent a good like three or four hours with her and um she showed us you know her kitchen cupboards and how she organized those and um uh, and then she walked us around her local area and showed us the local supermarkets that she would go to and the chicken shops or the mm. um, takeaway places that she would go. Um, and then her kids, um, they're both like college age boys, um, also took us around and like showed it from their perspective. Mm. And it was just absolutely fascinating kind of understanding, um, you know, the, the, the drivers behind um, why they eat the way that they do, I guess. Mm. Um, and also the other pressures on their lives that, sort of drive that, those kinds of behaviours um, yeah it was it was really really eye opening just the whole experience <laughs> to be yeah. honest um, 
so good to just to get different, yeah, like you said, understanding yeah. perspectives of taking a small sample size like a family mm-hmm. and then thinking, right, what's the, where's the mother going, you know, what's she doing, um, you know, where, uh, what's, what's, what's the father doing or, you know, vice versa or, or either mm-hmm. or. And then, yeah, kids at different ages, where are they going, what are they doing? And then as they get older and they have more independence, you know, d- does that mean that they're, they get to then, you know, they, they choose what to eat more because obviously they can buy it for themselves or they yeah. can kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, wow, that's, yeah, it is it hey. is interesting, isn't it? Because like uh-huh. you said, from an eye line of a kid at a supermarket, it's going to be different than the eye line at, you know, someone like us being grown adults because mm-hmm. we're just going to be looking at different things. We're going to be looking higher, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, wow. And the environment, literally, you know, the environment speaks to children and young people Mm. um, through advertising and marketing. Um, And, I mean, it's obvious in supermarkets. You walk down, you know, the confectionery and the chips, like crisps aisle and that kind of thing, and things for kids are brightly coloured. And they're they're usually the unhealthy options. It's it's changing a little bit now, I think. Mm. Um, The more healthy options are starting to package slightly differently. Mm. Um, and tap into the you know the media side, just like Peppa Pig and that kind of thing. There's yeah. a, one of the mums um, in particular, you know, she's like, I hate taking my child shopping with me because she just wants anything that has Peppa Pig branded on it. And so to keep her quiet, I'll just buy it because it's mm. you know it's just easier. Yeah. That way. Um, yeah, and, it makes sense. And it's just course, a bit of troubleshooting, like, and then whatever it is actually is you yeah. want to have a good afternoon, but then. You but know, then the companies that can afford to put Peppa Pig on their packaging tend to be the like slightly more unhealthy options yeah so again it just, Man. it's all that kind of stuff it's um, good it's good to pull yourself out of your normal environment with you know eating the way the way you do and 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 you know spending time with friends if they're doing something similar mm. you're in your kind of like little bubble and then you read things and, and you have your opinion on things but when you actually go to different environments and you meet people that yeah you're never going to be spending time with and you're in areas that you're never in it's just seeing it from that perspective i think yeah, that's um, a crucial experience, and you crucial. can tell people that have done more travel or more investigation or anything into a topic because they are just more, they're more open-minded and, and they understand that it isn't It's not it as black simple. and white as, as even, it's not even like an education thing. Like, no. sometimes it is, and there were, you know, a small number of families who, for example, were, like, confused by the, um, like, the five-a-day thing, and they weren't sure what that meant. Yeah. So, for example, or even the traffic light system. Um, but when there are other pressures on you, such as, you know, maintaining a certain budget for food mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, like, you're not it, paying attention to those, those kinds of things just isn't within your scope, within your scope. Yeah. Um, and it's embarrassing, you know, I witnessed it, like embarrassing for mums or whatever to kind of get to a checkout and have to, um, ask to put things back because they've seen that on the the total it's like coming up to more than they're going to be able to pay for so it's just little you know avoiding situations like that Mm. and going for the you know the lower value um options and not paying attention to things like yeah like five a day or those sorts of things Mm, definitely Um, yeah not within their radar um so yeah yeah one of the biggest lessons i learned was that there's often so much more to people's decisions around food and making those kind of slightly more unhealthy choices than just I want a takeaway mm. so so much more mm. and that's actually just a byproduct of everything mm. else that's going on in their lives and you know how can you alleviate those things which might then free up a little bit more space for them to make healthier choices mm. um mm. you yeah, know that really makes sense no it really so, makes sense yeah it's just a slightly different perspective 
No, definitely. But yeah. <laughs> That's really good. So then, yeah. so then that was 2016, 2017, you started working with them last year? Yeah, so that was September last year, so it took September 2017. Yeah. Well, roughly. Yeah, summer last year. Yeah, okay. Um, and then, I'm, yeah, maybe let's flip over for the last five minutes or so in terms of the movement side of things and, and the exercise and stuff because, you know, that's something you love to do. Yeah. So the other side of the conversation is with, you know, in, in ingesting energy, you know, when you're expending energy, you've got a lot more experience in that than most, and you've done loads of different <laughs> modalities, haven't you? Yeah. So sitting here with a broken foot, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think we might have to have a whole other podcast to explore that, but I think <laughs> uncovering all this information on shift, and especially if I get some feedback as well, I think, you know, you're definitely going to come on again, and um, before we recorded, I quite liked the idea if you said you'd want to interview yeah, me Yeah, I think that would be so fun. <laughs> which, would be, which would be good. So you've got de- a lot to say too. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely do that, but I think, yeah, maybe let's finish with a bit of... Uh, Movement. Yeah, because, you know, you've, you've swam, you've done, you know, uh, you, CrossFit, um, you, you, you've done 100k, which uh, is incredible. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I like to think that I run around and bimble, but I've got a long way to go before I do something ever like mm-hmm. that. So, um, so yeah, so how do you, you know, what have you, you, do, do you, are you just curious about different forms of movement or, or are you someone that just quite likes to take on tasks and, 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 you know, really, really push yourself physically? How's that all manifested? Um, I was, you know, your typical, like, sporty kid. I think I've just always been ridiculously active. My mum used to get asked if she actually fed my sister and I because we're like the skinniest kids around, but not because, you know, we didn't eat, but because we just expended so much energy yeah. all the time. Um, and yeah, and then like just dancing was like my initial background and then um, university sport was netball and volleyball. Mm. Um, I trained, I was did athletics for a long time as well, but never carried that through to university. And then, after university it was kind of like okay well what now like I was used to training at that like university intensity and then left and was like well there's no structure around anything that I'm doing now and mm. that's when I found CrossFit so I came across that when I was in the US doing that internship with um, the university mm. um, and I latched onto that because that was something like new and exciting and completely new movements and stuff and really and like, it was intense as well like I found that it was pushing me to the extent that I needed mm. post university mm. um and I think in our first in the first les- uh, session I ever went to they taught us to rope climb I was like what the hell is this yeah <laughs> but with the right like coaching and cues and stuff I sort of managed to get up this rope yeah like, I feel like Tarzan this is amazing I was like I'm in like that's it take my yeah. money um and so yeah then came back to the UK and kind of kept going with it and then um yeah periodically just like to kind of push my boundaries a bit I think that I had always been a sprinter and then got pushed into or pushed out under duress agreed to do a half marathon with um, a company called Pink Squid that I worked for for a while um they're like a creative agency um and that was the furthest I'd ever run. I think before then, the most I'd ever trotted was like, I don't know, maybe a 5k here and there. Mm. <laughs> so I trained a little bit for the, the half marathon and then and hated it. I didn't enjoy it at all. But for some reason after that, I then was like, okay, well, what's the next thing that I want to do? Like, I quite enjoyed the process of like signing up for it, feeling the fear, doing it, and then feeling really great afterwards and mm. that like whole accomplishment feeling. Um, and I have a friend, he's a little bit like you, a bit nuts, and... Steve and in fact we met um, at that um, weight loss camp that we, we both worked there sure um, and he's nuts he does all sorts of like crazy endurance thing and happened to mention this 100k yeah um, 
And I was like, oh, okay. Like, at the time, it was one of those things where it's so far in the future that you don't really take in what you've just signed up for. Yeah. So I agreed to do it. And um, it's through, it was through a company called Climb Southwest. And they, they, um, they put on a lot of events kind of across the UK, like, throughout the year. Um, and, it, yeah, it was May last year. So it's a year ago. Um, and I think with that one, I just wanted to, I, I knew in my head how far that was I don't think I understood exactly how it would feel to try and travel that far having never gone further than a half marathon distance um but I wanted to see if I could push through to like where I thought my limit was and then keep going past there yeah um and just yeah sort of see how I got on really it was a nuts distance absolutely ridiculous absolutely 100% the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life physically um, How long are you on your feet for? Twenty-one hours. So I think that's it. I, Phenomenal. It was just the the duration. I think if I had known how difficult it would be to move continuously for twenty-one hours, I would have tried to run more of it because just to yeah. sort of get it over and done with quicker. Yeah, of course. Um, but I went in as as like a walking as a walker, um, and it was just yeah, just unbelievable. But that's an amazing amount of time. To put that into perspective, guys. I went and did this run in Italy. Um, just just over marathon distance, just under thirty miles, and that took me over eight hours. So you think Lucy's on her feet for twenty one hours, and again, that was the hardest thing, physically, mentally, I've ever done. So you think <laughs> times that by like, but yours was up and times down that by another <laughs> like for 10, 11 hours or whatever. Yeah. It's um, that yeah. It it really is. It's not just the the very long yeah. Way. It's not just the physicality. It's yeah. It's the mental side of things. Yeah, thinking absolutely. like right. Wow. See, that's definitely a goal of mine, just trying to build up to a distance like that. So you actually haven't done it is, yeah, yeah. mind-blowing. I'd highly recommend having a bunch of friends meet you at points to, like, give For you a, morale. a boost. On, yeah, absolutely. It was That was the biggest thing that picked me up, I think. Yeah. Like, 75k slump, and I just was so done with it. Um, it's when you get to there and you think, okay, it's only 25 kilometres, but that's going to be another six hours of moving or whatever Gosh. it might have been so it's just yeah. getting your head around like the, the time like the length of time yeah um but you meet some incredible people doing stuff like that you know really inspiring people and and a real breadth of of ages and mm. body types and the backgrounds and exercise and loads of different things um mm. really fascinating conversations like people from like you know my mum's age to army there was a group of army guys that were doing it mm. um and it's yeah a real sense of achievement wow yeah and now yeah. you're on the road to recovery no yeah i'm trying to get this fit better <laughs> yeah so, yeah so i can run around again <laughs> definitely so, so when you're bored. not crutching around what, what 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 have you you know in your mind what would you quite like to do in the future when you when you're back and like physical challenge yeah wise? fit again what are you interested in all the stuff that i couldn't do this summer so <laughs> <laughs> because of this so um i've been training for a triathlon that which would have been my first one just a sprint try I was like don't even try and go any further than that I've learned my lesson from jumping from like a half marathon to 100k I was like let's just take it easy so I would like to do a sprint try um and there's also another challenge called the Welsh 3000s which Mm. um I've seen a few friends go through and do and then the same company I wanted to do it with them again Mm. so I'd like to do that and that's climbing I think it's the 14 peaks in Wales are all over 3000 meters Um, in 24 hours, so you go up and down, up and down, up mm, and down. Mm. Um, I'd love to do that. Um, Sounds great. When are you going to do that? Yeah, probably next year now because I missed it this year. I'll do that with Yeah? That'd be quality. Alright, it's on tape. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write that <laughs> no down. Out now. Well, 3,000. Come on, fellow. Yeah. 
and get Harry involved too. Yeah. He'd kill it. I think they've probably done that actually, those boys. I remember Ed talking about that. Yeah. Um oh man, that sounds yeah, yeah so that sounds actually like different fair. things in the in the in the back of my mind. Sure. Alright, well I think at the moment we'll finish there because yeah, it's it's just <laughs> a nice it's a nice it's a nice episode on, on on all things um shift, which I think is exactly what I wanted. Yeah, you can tell I feel quite you know, a lot. I yeah, yeah really amazing. like them as an organisation, so and I'll get you back on, and then, you know, if we have any feedback, we can address other things. But, yeah, that's, that's absolutely fabulous. Thanks. Yeah, no worries. Um, and, yeah, I suppose when – if you have you got any kind of um, takeaway messages for anyone that, hmm. you know, childhood obesity and, and food and, and everything like this is all coming to a head, like, it's, it's politically it's very current. If, if, you know, someone wants to do something or, or if they, you know, a lot of their – friends and things have opinions on things and they're still trying to mull it all over what's the kind of key takeaway for, for you or you know what can people do or where can they go to to understand more huh and that's a tough question but yeah. yeah how do you address that to kind of finish the pod like what do you think um you know where do you think people can go and understand more or what could they get involved in that think, you've even heard um, about so they can try to make a difference yeah I think looking to the sorts of organisations like Shift, I guess, and people that are really doing that frontline like research with with people, um, particularly guys in St Thomas's charity. Um, like I said, they're one that we worked really closely with, but mm. they're doing a lot um, mm. at the moment. And um, and then also just keeping an open mind mm. and trying not to let your situation and the environment in which you've grown up all that kind of thing influence your thought processes around obesity mm. too much because um, mm. that's quite an easy trap to fall into and it's certainly one that I found myself in until um, I was exposed to kind of uh, I sort of worked within um, mm. took a step in other people's shoes basically is what I'm trying to say mm. um, I think that's good yeah. and I think the, another key takeaway is yeah just not don't just disregard things straight away and and especially people be like oh that person's, it too much yeah that person's opinion says that and 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 they're wrong or they're idiots so i'm never going to yeah, listen to them yeah, again yeah. we need i think all of us it's need all to be a, a bit it's a more conversation isn't it yeah yeah i've been there as well i think oh that person's opinion oh, that's rubbish but then actually if i've heard about it and and they're wading in and they're you know they're creating a bit of a skirmish on something you know is ultimately is that a good thing is it getting people thinking about it more mm. rather than just turning around and being like Mm-hmm. you know like whatever I'm going to not listen to that person anymore or I'm going to write something negative about that person on yeah. social media or something like that yeah so yeah just think think a little bit more I think maybe before you discount situations or discourage people and things yeah that would be a good key takeaway yeah fab alright thanks Matt nice one girl <laughs>